Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Turkey Book Talk. I'm William Armstrong speaking from here in Istanbul. In this podcast we hear from authors of newly released books on Turkey and the region. This is episode 102. If you haven't already, do consider signing up as a Turkey Book Talk member on Patreon. Becoming a member gets you various excellent extras. They include transcripts in both English and Turkish of every interview published on Turkey Book Talk via email as soon as the episode is published. I'll also send you transcripts of the entire Turkey Book Talk archive, which includes a number of extra interviews not previously published on the podcast. Members also get access to an exclusive discount deal, a whopping 35% off the cover price of books published in IB Taurus and Bloomsbury's extensive Turkey and Ottoman history category. IB Taurus and Bloomsbury have well over 400 books in their Turkey and Ottoman history series, including both academic and general interest titles, and Turkey Book Talk members receive a special code for a 35% discount on books in that series, including physical books, pre-orders, and e-books. Finally, Members also receive an archive of 231 book reviews written by myself covering Turkish and international fiction and poetry, history, politics and journalism in the Middle East and Europe. That archive was written over the course of five years and used to be available online but nowadays a Turkey Book Talk membership is the only way to access it. To become a member all you have to do is pledge a minimum of $3 per episode via Turkey Book Talk's Patreon account. New episodes are published every two weeks so membership amounts to no more than $6 per month. Of course if you're feeling particularly generous and want to pledge more then you'll certainly be more than welcome but so long as you pledge three dollars or above per episode membership is entirely at your own discretion members only get charged when a new episode is published so there are no prior commitments or strings attached you'll be free to sign off whenever you want but now let's get on with our latest episode. In it we hear from Zeynep Shentek. She's a journalist and managing editor of BlackSea.eu, an investigative journalism platform that is part of the European Investigative Collaborations Network. She's also one of the reporters of a piece recently published on that website investigating the grim health consequences of living in Dilovasa, a heavily industrialized and heavily polluted district on the Marmara Sea just outside Istanbul. Dilovasa is full of dirty, heavy industries from Turkey and overseas, almost all of which moved there in recent decades to exploit lax or non-existent regulations and taxes, ultimately creating what a Turkish parliamentary commission in 2007 declared a public health disaster zone. The article paints an almost hellish picture of life for the nearly 50,000 people living in Dilovasa, where dangerous chemicals are continuously belched into the air and where cancer rates are reportedly well above average and locals suffer from a range of severe respiratory conditions. We talk about the economic, political and public health aspects of Dilavasa later on, but I started by asking Zeynep Shentek to talk about the time she spent reporting in Dilavasa and why they decided to conduct the investigation in the first place. Well, basically, we got very interested in how industry and politics clash at the expense of people. Kojeli is a region that we reported on before, and uh, it always fascinates me to look into what these multinational corporations do in places like Turkey, producing the way they cannot do in their own countries, sort of like really dirty. And uh, also union busting is a big thing in Turkey. So it kind of uh, fascinates me as a reporter 
reporter to see, for example, a company like Avon calling itself the company for women and then firing female workers in places like Turkey because they want to unionize. So these tensions we always were interested in. And then uh, Dilovası is kind of is a place where these things happen in a very, very concentrated fashion. It's a very small town, 47,000 people live there. So it's tiny, but it's extremely polluted. And the industry there is very, very concentrated. You have then uh, a lot of associated problems, a lot of health problems. And uh, then politics become very controversial there. And then obviously people's psychology, the sociology of the place. I mean, everything ju- just mixes together and then it becomes very interesting to report on and also very important to say here, there is a town that is having all these problems and I think you should care. And especially we decided to do this in English. Now there's a Turkish version of the stories as well. We want to do this in English and also get it published in a lot of uh, European newspapers so that it's not just, you know, one story, but it's like other countries and readers in these countries knowing what the companies of their countries are doing abroad. So that was the motivation. So let's just go back to the origins, really, of the development of um, Dilovasa. When did this part of Kocaeli, so Dilovasa is in northwest Turkey, it's just outside Istanbul. It's a district of Kocaeli, which is the neighboring province of Istanbul. It's there on the sort of Marmara Sea on the coast. And it was until recently a very kind of sleepy area, not much going on. And then, as far as I understand it, it basically started to get industrialized uh, in the 1980s. And the development was very rapid lots of companies lots of industries moved there Uh, just tell us the story of how things got kicked off there it was actually end of 60s and in 70s as well there were several big factories there for example Chrysler was uh, uh, set up a, a factory there Isojam also big insulation manufacturer so there were several very big factories there but it was kind of like a place that nobody lived it was in the middle of nowhere and these factories were set up there because it's not Istanbul but very close so logistically it was a good area but uh, as you said in 1980s when kind of Turkey opened the door to all sorts of foreign capital to come in and this wild capitalism started to take over and then this region Kocaeli region and places like Dilovası specifically were designated by the states as ideal places to do manufacturing because there was no space left in Istanbul so they were trying to take the industry away from Istanbul away from the city but still not so far from all these sea routes or land so if you look on the map, Kocaeli is in a, in a perfect place. And especially if you look at Dilovası, it has a sea route and then it's perfect for building ports. And then it also has a land route towards the eastern side, Turkey, and then to the rest of the world on the east and then to the west. So it's just a location proximate to markets. So these industries started to come in in the 80s. That was the big industry boom. And then obviously you have foreign companies, let's say European, American, they realize that they can build factories abroad really cheap and then well the environmental regulations are loose and back then in the 80s you cannot even talk about proper environmental regulations I mean now it's bad but back then it was virtually non-existent so it was uh, it was perfect and on top of it uh, labor is very cheap so these uh, factories started to build there and um, uh, workers uh, moved in around Dilos again in the 80s usually from southeast 
So there is a the majority of the population in Dilawas is ethnically Kurdish. Uh, those who started migrating end of uh, 80s, beginning of 90s, and then they kind of started building houses around the town. And it's kind of this amorph development happened where industry grew and then the houses grew. But so now if you go there, it's a proper town. And then in 1987, it was given the status of town officially. So you have this very strange reality there that you don't really see much anywhere in Turkey where the industry is still expanding by the way and then people are just stuck there for the last 30-40 years trying to live together with the industry. Now, health data is very closely guarded on these issues by the government. But uh, in your reporting, you found various terrible effects on people and the area. Now, everybody really in Turkey knows it. You know, Dilavasu is sort of a byword for an unhealthy environment to be in. And people know it exists, but people don't really look in too much detail into it. But you did for this article. I mean, what are some of the health issues that are caused by the industrial development in Dilavasu? What are some of the symptoms that can be seen among locals? We didn't know what to expect before we went in there because, as you said, we also heard a lot. For example, people who live in Istanbul who just know Dilos but would never go there and have this uh, extremely bad perception of the town. And then they say, you know, as we drive by, we always like shut the windows of the car so we wouldn't breathe in. And we were like, okay, we gotta go and see. And then, um, My first day there, towards the end, uh, I, I started uh, having this really uh, heavy lung and my throat was hurting. So, But I was like, okay, maybe this is psychological. And then people, they were like, no, this is Dilovası. And I, for me, this blew my mind. So close to Istanbul, but so far away. Also the people, it's very conservative. And at the first instance, it's not hostile, but unfriendly for a reporter. So for me, this was like, okay, this is going to be very complicated and this is going to be long reporting it became sort of longer and longer trying to penetrate uh, into this town and understand what's really happening and one of the reasons was the, of course the health problems like you said while the data again my uh, reporting partner Do has been trying to get uh, health data from Kojeli authorities for a really long time it bounces back and all that so it's very hostile authorities are very hostile when you're trying to uh, access data especially on Dilova And obviously a lot of data isn't public in Turkey, especially health data. We wanted to speak with the local authorities, local health authorities, and they were like, no, we can't do that. Then everybody saying no to us, we turned to residents. We said, do you want to talk to us about the health problems you're having? Are you having any? They were like, no, and we won't talk with you. So I was like, okay, because the prejudice against this town is big. And as you said, everybody knows, but nobody really talks about it. People know this place as there are high rates of cancer, people die of cancer people cannot breathe etc but what is the problem really how how people are dealing with it I really got uh, after a while obsessed with talking with people because I simply couldn't at the beginning especially women there nobody spoke with me so I was like okay then we are going to take a different approach and spend a longer time here not a day and then going back to Istanbul but really spending some time because one of 
the things that journalists did uh, so far is it's a very easy story. You go in and you say, look at the factory chimneys spewing out smoke. Oh my God, this is horrible. Show us show us a person with cancer. Okay, you talk with the person with cancer. This Look, this is crazy, right? And then they're gone. So this whole thing takes like a few hours. And obviously they had enough of this. And this is a horrible way of reporting on a very deeply structural problem. So we decided to do something else and spend long time there. And while you were there, you met many, many people with acute health problems, children with terrible respiratory issues and whatnot. Just give us a couple of examples of some of the worst cases, really, of people suffering from the environmental effects of living in Dilovasa. Yeah, so the field work, the longer field work we did, where we spent uh, uh, several weeks there, and uh, I said, okay, tell us your problems. And when they said no, I said, okay, we will not go until you speak with us. And after a while, it was like, okay, do you want some tea? Let us talk. Uh, our uh, kids cannot breathe. Here are their uh, medicine. Just by talking with people, people opening up to us, it was really dozens of kids that uh, we found who just sometimes cannot go to school because they cannot simply go outside their houses and they're on heavy asthma medication. Not only kids, but elderly and people above 18, they uh, would be diagnosed by acute asthma. So then we started realizing this is uh, abnormal, you know, a lot of adults with acute asthma as well as COPD, even if they don't smoke. And then we realized that there were a lot of people with cancer, but obviously it's not Chernobyl, you know, with like how people like to describe it. But it, you do have lung cancers and you do have stomach cancers, etc. People who were, for example, diagnosed with lung cancer, even though they never smoked in their lives. But as we also mentioned in the story, cancer is a taboo in the town, which is something that we discovered as well. Cancer is a, in this particular town, it's a taboo that you don't even mention name cancer you say it's a, it's a disease or he's suffering from the disease but yes the worst case was a family a housewife who never smoked in her entire life has a very heavy asthma she cannot even uh, go outside she needs to be on a lighter medication because she's breastfeeding and uh, her kids one of them is seven years old the other one one and a half they're both also diagnosed with acute asthma and it's just this crazy situation where you have three people and a four people family who are dealing with this on a daily basis just because they're living in this town where their father works so it's uh, it's absolutely insane and there have been tests in Dilawasa where people have sort of tested things. You say the woman there was breastfeeding. If I remember correctly, some have done tests on breast milk and found that they've got enormous levels of chemicals in and whatnot, which is obviously a pretty shocking thing to confront, you know, when you've got babies being born with acute symptoms of asthma and, you know, yeah. generations of, of people suffering from a wide range of respiratory issues. I mean, there's a sense throughout the article that Dilawasa is seen by the companies that are in there as a kind of wild west really where there's no rules on environmental protection pollution damage to local people you know those kind of rules don't exist they don't have to be observed even if they do exist i mean how do they look at this and do they ever have to give account for the damage that they're doing 
this is the issue of Delos, actually, because there are so many companies there. You know, big names as well, like Marshall Paint, German, Basf Chemicals, etc. Uh, Unilever until recently. So big names, big production, big manufacturing happening there. And the thing is, if you ask them, which we did to some of them, they say, we comply with national regulations. This is like all manufacturing companies would say. But, you know, even if they comply with regulations, which sometimes they don't and just lie about it just the sheer fact that you have so many of these uh, uh, manufacturing sites producing at the same time so close to the people and then just giving these pollutants to the air and then to the sea it's just a culmination of these that are really um, uh, damaging to the town so this is actually more like a big picture issue this is why I say this is like a structural problem where the state encouraged for so long for the industry to be built in these areas so close to the people and they're still doing it it's not like this happened in the 80s no they're still encouraging for new industries to go there and these companies the foreign ones for example are only just too happy to go and build their factories there this is the this is the extent of the problem recently in the news there was the case of uh, Bulenchuk he's not actually mentioned in your article but he's quite probably quite an interesting case to mention here because he is somebody who as far as I understand he was a whistleblower who uh, was working with the health ministry in Kojeli which is the province that Dilovasu is in and he had access to some research on rates of cancer in the province and found that there were various environmental reasons why cancer rates were higher than average and he basically released this report that wasn't ultimately released by the ministry and he ended up uh, he's just been sentenced for doing that just talk about the case of Bulenshik and uh, you know how that relates to other people who previously in Dilovasa have also tried to raise the flag about conditions in the area we had a, a section about Bulanchik, but it just the story became too long. He's actually looking at the Argene region, which is on the other side of Istanbul, and how the industry kind of is expanding there too. So not just to the right of Istanbul, but to the left of Istanbul as well. That's how much the industry is expanding. And he found out that the soil and, and the water was extremely polluted in uh, this, uh, this region as well. It's striking that this region is so polluted because a lot of the agricultural products come from this region to Europe as well as to Turkey. And I know uh, that in that ministry project, this big undertaking by the ministry that Bulanchik was part of, they did look into Dilovasa. However, of course, now they intimidated all the scientists who took part in this project because they're severely punishing Bulanchik for becoming a whistleblower. So I doubt we will ever know about the Dilovasa part of the project. But we know that uh, there have been some teams coming up into town, testing the air, etc., etc. This is also what we heard from locals. Basically, this means the state has this extensive data about the health problems and about what's causing it, which means they know how to fix it, right? So Bülentçuk made this very clear, saying that, you know, this Argena region, which you didn't look into before, is extremely polluted. Hey, but this study also covered other places, the cancer rates, the health problems, water, air pollution, etc. And it's extremely problematic 
automatic what's happening. So he just laid it bare, you know, and it's very easy for state to take on this study and then say, okay, these are the problems and this is how we're going to solve it. But ultimately, releasing such problematic study would also show the foremost culprit of these problems, which is the state, right? We live in Turkey, so it's extremely challenging to find out what the state really knows. But we now know that they know. There was also a uh, parliamentary commission in 2007 that you referred to in the article. And yeah. this declared Dilovas a public health disaster zone. What does that mean and what happened after then? Yes, this also shows that the state knew. I mean, it's like, I cannot repeat this enough. They know and they knew what was wrong with Dilosa. Around 2005, it was actually Professor uh, Onur Hamzolu who did the breast milk study as well as the cancer rate study. So he became this kind of spokesperson for the town. And uh, he said that, look, there is a problem here. And there was uh, the town was restless and people were starting to protest. Protest, and this was a big thing for the first time a scientist was saying, you know, there is uh, heavy chemicals and heavy metals in uh, breast milk. I mean, it's, it's insane. And then uh, feeling the pressure, I think the parliament set up a parliamentary commission. And back then we're talking about 2006. So things were not so bad. There were still parliamentary commissions being set up by partisan commissions, I should add. You know, now you can never find things like that in Turkey anymore. And uh, they set up this commission. And then they published a year later the report. It's like 360 pages. There's a lot of blah, blah in it. But they kind of summarize what happened in Dilosa and what are the reasons why public health is in such horrible situation, why kids are suffering, why people are suffering, why soil is so polluted. And then they kind of gave resolutions. This should happen, that should happen. And one of the resolutions was suggesting Dilovasa to be considered a public health disaster zone so that precautions can be taken, such as observing health of the residents, setting up a cancer registry, and then just kind of seeing what's wrong with people and how to fix their health problems. So they kind of wanted a holistic approach to this issue and they suggested these things should happen. And you know, what it was an AKP member who was heading the commission and he was the one who suggested and then went into the newspapers and said what we saw in Dilos was horrific and this place should be considered as a as a disaster zone so that the necessary precautions can be taken and uh, you know this was 2007 and not much happened since then how much uh, outrage is there locally about all this? There's a sense a bit in the article that most people just sort of accept it as fate and move on, essentially. Is that right? Yes, it's right, because I think they did a lot in the last uh, 10 years. You know, 10 years is a long time. You live there, you, you breathe bad air, and then you try to fight. You know, you try to fight the industry. But then you realize you actually can't fight it because there is nobody supporting you, apart from some journalists, some scientists, you know, some doctors. Also, it's a majority ethnically Kurdish. It's a very um, a conservative town. You know, you have this conservativeness about 
about it, where you say, okay, the problems are our problems and we will solve them because they realize that, you know, when they talk with journalists or when they go to newspapers, etc., nothing really happened. And I think they had very, very high expectations of this parliamentary commission coming in, doing these scientific studies together with Tubitag and then talking with people, etc. They had very high expectations back in 2007, but nothing happened. And then, for example, Honor Hamzolo, the doctor who became the spokesperson of Dilosa, as you know, they jailed him a few years ago. His trial still continues. He's kind of like a renegade for the state. And then they see that they're doing this to Honor Hamzolo. So it's like they're scared to do something and they think that it's not going to matter what they do. So they don't want to take unnecessary risks. They're trying to live their lives because, you know, trying to fight the industry is a huge, huge thing and it's very exhausting, it's costly and it uh, most of the time doesn't work, especially in Turkey when politics is so much behind businesses. Talk about the um, sort of local political angle here. Dilovasa is a staunchly AKP area. It always votes for AKP-linked mayors. What's the political background of the area? You know, the current mayor uh, elected in March is himself, I believe, a rich uh, industrialist involved in uh, in local businesses. Yes, when we first went to Dilos, actually, was in March, right before, maybe a few weeks before the elections, which was a coincidence, but uh, it made us realize how fierce the political campaigning in Dilos is. Because, yes, before it was very AKP, and but the last elections, actually, the Saadet Party put out a candidate, which was the first, very first mayor of Dilos, and they put him as a candidate, and uh, everybody so- thought... Saadet Party is this... Uh, sort of smaller conservative Islamist-rooted party. Yes, who are now almost like leftists, you know. I mean, it's like a very Turkish strange thing that's happening. But uh, they are anti-AKP, for those who don't know. And um, this candidate ran on almost an environmental platform, you know. Uh, We heard that he was telling locals, you know, if you want the industry gone, if you want the coal processing center to go, you just walk and I will walk in front of you. And I think this is what they want, the Dilovasa people. Some Somebody backing them up, like their mayor, for example, and they never had it. So this uh, candidate attracted a lot of support and a lot of attention. And in all honesty, we thought he was going to win. There was a lot of good campaigning, a lot of young people campaigning for him. And then uh, AKP's candidate, Hamza Shair, who ended up winning uh, an industrialist, a local industrialist, not one of the national big industries, but the local one, uh, rich, yes, and has a big network. Uh, inside the town and it the Saadet party lost by three point margin yes so it was very 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 close yeah so the AKP won the town again and uh, this guy obviously he's a populist like all the AKP he cares about little services that he gives to town like distributing coal or cleaning the streets etc the small things and uh, he, he knows everybody in town so that was also one of the, the plus points so they believe that he's one of them and 
he's rich, so he might help them. And he had a company set up in the town who built things for big factories around, like tanks, storage facilities, you know, little roads for the proximity of the factories, etc. So he basically works for the big industry in Dilosa and he's in bed with them. This is the guy who's now heading the town and who supposedly fixed the problems of the town. And he was saying, you know, I had a company, I was industrious, but not anymore. I left my company to my partner. I have no relations with my company anymore, which we found out during our investigation that it wasn't true. He still holds, for example, 50% of his company. All he did was, <laughs> with like a little trickery, he changed the name of his company so that it's not so easy to find in the database anymore. But if you know how to and where to look, you can find out that he still holds 50% of it and he's not saying it. So, yeah, this is very deal of us, basically. Did you manage to speak to him while you were reporting or any of the local <laughs> politicians? No, because um, he, when he first came in, his first day in office, he literally took out the door of his office and then he says, you know, I have an open door policy now. Anybody can come and talk to me about their problems. There should be no barriers between me and the people, which actually Do told me that this is very um, a popular thing to do for AKP officials, tearing down the, the doors. And this is what he did. So we were like, okay, it would be pretty easy to go in and try to talk with him, which was not the case. We were not giving any uh, interview time or we could not speak with him. And I sent very lengthy emails asking for comments before our publication. Uh, they received it, but nothing came back. And then we kind of tried to do it a bit informally and put some people in the middle so we can talk with Mr. Shire. He obviously very well uh, knew that we were in town and doing this. And then at the end, he said that I would not speak with those who want to say that there is cancer in this town. So it was very clear that he was going to talk to us, although we really tried. And uh, what about the future? I mean, do incentives continue to be given today to companies, industries that uh, are going to set up in Dilovasa? Is there any change on the horizon or what's, what's going to happen? I don't think so because, yes, the incentives are still being given and Kojeri is still very attractive. You have industrial zones where you don't need to pay taxes and then you have these, you have a lot of ports where you can just arrange for your goods to be shipped. I mean, you cannot really get this kind of convenience if you're a company anywhere else. So this is not going to end. Obviously, the big responsibility is uh, of the state and they have to, first of all, start regulating very very strictly this industry and uh, second of all start encouraging for the industry to go somewhere else and like Hamzolu was uh, saying because everybody asked him you know what's the solution and then he always says I'm not saying the factories don't make money and produce I'm saying they should make money less so that this is the thing like the rich should get slightly less richer so that locals can live you know. That was Zeynep Shentek. Many thanks to her.
I've put a link up to the report we were discussing at armstrongwilliam.wordpress.com as well as a link to another report that they produced about a massive asbestos dump that they found on a hill in Dilovasa. If you're a fan of Turkey Book Talk, you can join as a member on Patreon to support it. Membership gets you access to that special 35% discount on Turkey and Ottoman history books published by IB Taurus and Bloomsbury. Transcripts in English and Turkish of every interview as it's published. Transcripts of the entire Turkey Book Talk archive and access to an archive of 231 book reviews written by me covering Turkish history, politics, literature and various other things. To become a member and get all that, just pledge that minimum of $3 per episode via Turkey Book Talk's Patreon account. Also do please rate or review Turkey Book Talk on iTunes or whatever podcast platform you use. Follow via Twitter or like the Facebook page and I always enjoy hearing from listeners so please do send any recommendations, feedback or abuse to williamjohnarmstrong at gmail.com. But until our next episode of Turkey Book Talk in a couple of weeks, once again, thank you very much for listening. Virginia!